Welcome to the Good Luck Club podcast. We aim to bring you insights from the world's most successful entrepreneurs and change makers. They will share with you each week what they've learned building their businesses, the good and the bad. There is nothing more interesting than real life stories. My guest today is entrepreneur Nick Tilson, founder of Horseplay Ventures. Nick, welcome to the show. Delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you here. I wonder if we could start off by you kindly introducing yourself to the audience. So uh, I'm Nick. I was originally the founder of a company called Design My Night, um, which started in 2010, um, which was a B2C platform in the hospitality space. And also we had three uh, B2B SaaS systems as well that we sold to hospitality. Um, Sold that in 2017 um, and exited at the start of 2020. And since then, I've gone on to set up a sort of angel investment arm called Horseplay Ventures and also um, a podcast called Pitch Deck. I am a big fan. I was listening to all your podcasts yesterday and I loved it. And a lot of the people that have been pitching their businesses on your podcast show have also come on and told their story on mine. So really exciting to see what you were doing. And I actually recommend to all my listeners, you uh, probably stop this podcast right now and just go listen to, to Pitch Deck. It's really, really fascinating. <laughs> I think they complement each other quite nicely. Yeah, we... we uh, to- totally. I love, I, love the, I love the pitches. I mean, I think something so interesting about hearing people's ideas. And it's always amazing when you hear ideas and you think, you know, how come I've never heard of that idea before? How come no one's ever done that before? It's just fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, there's so many ideas out there. It's crazy. Totally, yeah. Well, I thought we could start off by maybe um, I like my audience to understand the guest by trying to define what success means to my guest. And what does success mean to you, Nick? Uh, It's a tricky one. Um, I mean, success really for me is about just achieving the goal that you set out to achieve. Uh, And I'm quite big on that. So before I start any project, I normally set an end goal or an end achievement that I I want to aim for. Um, You know, not always monetary, sometimes monetary. I I do feel in the startup world, sort of money's become a bit of a dirty word. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with starting a business, wanting to, you know, make money from it and be financially free at the end of it. So, you know, goals are different to everyone in different walks of life. So for me, it's just everything I do, I set an end goal that I want to achieve and achieving that is success. I I like that a lot. I think the um, concept that you have, um, maybe you can call it short term image of success based on the goal you've set yourself right now, because so many people aspire for something, you know, you could argue big um, and and so, so having that smaller increment where you say you're setting yourself an end goal is, is pretty, pretty interesting, actually. Yeah. You, you mentioned they're financially free. Could, what do you think that means? Again, very different for different people. Um, you know, for me, it was the, the, you know, taking off the pressure of having to work for a living and being able to then sort of do what I want to do without the pressures of, you know, finances to pay the mortgage and pay the bills, etc. So for me, that was, you know, paying off my mortgage and then not necessarily having to run into another job and, and instead being able to focus on what I love, which is sort of helping startups. So, you know, I've been very fortunate to, to sell my company for what I wanted to achieve. And now that just gives me the freedom to focus on things that I love to do day to day. I know you're very humble. I can tell straight off because you sold your company for 25 million pounds. That's not a small number. 
Yeah, no, we're very pleased with that. It was, it was, you know, a lot more than we intended to to set out to sell for. Um, so, obviously, that doesn't all go to me. Um, but you know, we were very, very pleased. Yeah, with that end figure. Um, so yeah, I was delighted with that outcome. And financially free is a really interesting concept. And, and I do agree with you that, uh, you know, you kind of need to not worry about paying the mortgage, for example, to give you the freedom to do what you love. But it, I look at your career, I feel like you've been doing what you love regardless. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one thing I've always tried to do is always, you know, get out of bed and enjoy what I'm doing. So, you know, originally that was marketing and I went to work for L'Oreal straight after university, um, which, you know, people know it as a beauty company, but essentially it's a marketing company. Um, so I had great exposure there. Love the people I work with. It's a you know, great, fun place to work um, and work my way up there for five years. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was actually when I saw what my boss was doing at the time, who was general manager of the brand I worked at. That's when I actually thought, oh, actually what you're doing isn't something that I look you know, looks like I would enjoy to do, you know, spreadsheets, reporting back to Paris. So that actually was one of the catalysts to make me think, okay, well, maybe my joy stops here and I need to go and find something new now. That's good self-awareness, good self-awareness that you could realize that because a lot of people just keep going. If you've got a job with a high profile brand, I know a lot of my listeners want to quit their job and go start a business of their own, but they, they perhaps um, don't understand what you're talking about there. What, what, what did, what made you do it? I mean, you know, it's, it's, you've got to not be adverse to risk. It's obviously a huge risk to take that leap. And, you know, I probably went into it a bit blind, which was a good thing. So I didn't know, you know, probably the huge amount of risks I was taking. Um, but again, it went back to sort of financial element for me that I very carefully did the maths on my life at that point and, and, by when we were building design my night we were still in our myself and my co-founder were still in our day jobs for a, a year so we sort of saved hard in that year and knowing that if we wouldn't have a salary for at least a year and a half you know we'd be able to survive and you know at the end of the day if you leave the company you work for on good terms you can go back so i always knew that if design my night failed l'oreal would take me back so that also sort of minimized the risk i was taking that's a good that's a good bit of advice for listeners. You, know, you can uh, bank that goodwill you've got if you leave on good terms and do things right. Then it's not leaving and burning a bridge. You've always got that access. However, in startup world, people often talk about you know you've got to burn the boats. So when you, you know, when you decide to leave and go, you know you almost don't want an option to go back into the old job because it, it must have been really hard when you first started Design My Night to not just go back to the slightly perhaps initially easier life. Yeah, I mean, I think we were just so in it. You sort of get, as as your listeners will know, if they started a company, you're you're so enveloped in everything to do with it that becomes your life, and as you you know as well. So it was never really an option um, to even think about going back to to the previous life. Um, you know, there were very small moments when you thought, "Oh, is this the right decision?" But I had a just. Uh, I think an inbuilt determination that I was going to make this work. I thought sort of, that follows me throughout my life that it's not an arrogance at all, but it's a sort of self-belief that I know that if, if I just get my head down and work hard, I will achieve the goal that I set out to achieve. And that sort of be my philosophy through school and all the way now to, to start up world as well. 
Yeah, the, the, the sense I'm picking up from you, and I, what I, I think is really interesting for the audience maybe to also gr make sure they grasp, is the, the patience you seem to have. Like the one year where you worked in a company and built your own business, and then the three years you worked when you sold the business to Lexit. You know, it's, it's all about delayed gratification, right? There's, 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 some, there's, some, uh, there's a superpower in that, isn't there? Yeah, I, I think it's just, yeah, knowing what's you know, sort of over the bridge. I think especially in startup world, if you rush it, you'll make rash decisions. I think nowadays um, funding is almost too easy to come by. Um, so you sort of start your company, rush out to raise money, spend that money, rush out to raise more money, where I think, you know, 2010 when we started, um, you had to be a lot more methodical, a lot, a lot more careful with your money, um, and just know that it was a, it's a long-term thing. You know, when I meet founders now, that's one of the big things I look for is do they have that staying power? Because you know, you are not going to sell your company within three years, and it's very unlikely that you're going to become the unicorn that booms in a few years. So you know, it's it's a five, ten, fifteen-year process to get what you want. Totally. Let's go back to when you started Design My Night. How did it come about? How did you come up with this idea? And so it was actually, so myself, my co-founder, Andrew, so we were in New York when we came up with the idea. And very simply, to be honest, is so there was a site in New York, um, which is no longer actually, which was focused around deals in the city. So drinks deals. Um, and then at the same time, that night when we went out, we asked the hotel concierge where, where we should go out. And he was asking us loads of questions. Um, and we don't know the exact moment, um, but we, we were both in a restaurant called Benny's Burritos, uh, which if anyone goes to New York, you should go to in Greenwich Village. And they have very, very, very strong margaritas. Um, and basically, we were just really drunk. And that night, we came up with the idea. We were like, oh, well, why don't we combine this idea of deals and the idea of personalization? And, you know, there's nothing really out there for that in London. I'm from London, so sort of I know London very well. And, you know, you had timeouts and you had some other big players, but they weren't really doing digital very well. Um, so, yeah, we still don't know who actually came up with the actual idea, but it was born that night. Um, and then we sort of got excited about it. And then when we got back from, from holiday, we then started to really dig a bit deeper and see if it was a viable option. What, what I think's really exciting about that story is that you know even though you were drunk and you're not sure who came up with the idea you followed through i think so many people probably not my listeners also have an idea but don't go and make it happen so what do you think was the catalyst that actually kind of drove you to not just wake up the next day and say that was a crazy idea why would we do that what was the catalyst can, can you recall i think we both always wanted to start our own thing um so and you know it, it it's only time it takes to start researching an idea. Um, and in many ways, that's the most exciting part. You know, there's no risk. You, you go away, you start coming up with ideas, seeing what competition is out there. And as I said, all, all that is, is time. So, you know, if you have an idea and you think it's valid, then you should just go for it because you're not risking anything at that point. The tough decisions come later down the line. Um, but, you know, you, you, you've obviously got to want to do the startup world um, if you want to go down that road. Um, but for us, we, we, we both always wanted to. He was my best mate from uni. We'd always talked about setting up our own thing. So for us, it was almost like, oh, could this be the thing that we actually do? 
And when you started, maybe t- tell the audience a little bit about your journey. What was the struggles? What was the highs and lows? Anything that sticks out? Um, well, yeah, <laughs> 10 years, there's a lot of highs and lows. Um, I think, well, I think one bit of advice and, and, and something we did very well was to break even keel. And something I try and instill in the founders that I work with to this day is you try and keep the highs as calm as possible and you don't let the lows sink as low as possible. And then actually you sort of lose that emotional journey, which can the, the you know, the mental well-being can be very tough. So for us, when we have wins, we sort of high fives and then got our head down and got on with it the next day. And therefore, when we had the lows, we did the same thing, washed ourselves down, came in the next day. I think a big, a big one that sticks in my mind for us was, um, before we discovered software and we were just a B2C platform. Um, this is, you know, again, way back in 2011, we'd hired an agency to do our SEO um, and we knew nothing about SEO. And back in the day, you could do a lot of what they call black hat techniques um, to sort of hack your way to the top of Google listings. And unbeknown to us, our agency was doing this. And then one morning we came in and every morning in the early days we checked our analytics and they just dropped off a cliff. We lost about 90% of our traffic and you know, we didn't know what was going on and we Googled it and Googled released a new algorithm called Penguin, which basically cleared up SEO and anyone doing their black hat techniques, they penalized. Um, so we literally a year's work we'd lost overnight. Um, and then had to sort of claw our way back. So we obviously fired that agency. Um, and it's probably the proudest moment as well because we didn't panic. Um, and actually that gave us the kick to learn SEO ourselves. And Andrew and I just studied SEO. It's actually not rocket science. Um, and then we rebuilt the site. And I would say we lost a year at least of traffic um, to rebuild it, do it correctly, do the right techniques. And then you know, what makes us really proud is when we sold, we were getting about 8 million uniques a month and about 65% of that was organic Google. Um, so we really became successful from a B2C point of view because of our SEO. So it was our lowest moment, but then became sort of our best part of the company as well. I think uh, you're, you're touching on something that is really important. I think this, this, I'm, I'm going to call it moral code. And within businesses, it's not a subject that they teach you much in business in the early days, but there you didn't know what they were doing. You were just happy with search. I had a similar experience with an accountant, by the way. An accountant said to me, do you want to pay less tax? As a business person, I'm like, yes. And then later I find out they're doing this forwarding accounts thing, which basically is slightly dodgy. It's not illegal, but it meant that one day the tax department does catch up with you and say, you haven't paid tax on income you've actually had for the last three years and suddenly you get a massive tax bill. So you know, basically you trust these suppliers and sometimes you don't check their moral code and you just assume they're experts and they're doing things right and they know what they're doing. Right. But you've got to check these things. I think it's an important lesson for entrepreneurs when you're outsourcing stuff. Yeah, 100 percent. And now, you know, we reference people um, and we actually ask for references when we, we, we speak with agencies and we'll then speak to those people. Mm. And it's the same as as angel investors now, like we heavily reference our founders and their companies and some of their clients um, and really dig deep to, to you know, make sure you're going on the journey with the right type of people, basically. Yeah, it's uh, someone asked me yesterday, I, you know, I want to get new clients. I said, oh, just get your existing clients to refer you. And they said they won't. I said, you haven't got a referral problem. You've got a service problem. 
Yeah, it should all happen naturally. Like, you know, on, on all angles, you know, the best people I work with are referred to me. A lot of the best investments I've made have been referred to me. Um, and, you know, that that's how the world works. So, you know, do your job well and success should finally come, you know, if you do everything right, barring coronavirus. Do you think um, you've had uh, good luck along the way? Yeah, luck's a funny one. I often think about it. Um, Part of me thinks you make your own luck. Um, You know, we worked very, very hard. Um, We never courted press. We never wanted to become big names as entrepreneurs. Um, Design My Night was never like a darling of the sort of London media scene. We just sort of got our head down and worked hard um, and made good decisions at at important times. And we definitely had luck, but I think we earned that luck. Um, I think if if you expect luck just to drop in in your lap, it won't. Um, But I am am a firm believer that, you know, if if you are a positive person, then positive things happen back to you. Um, I do believe that. Uh, And and I think that with luck as well, that, you know, if you are due a bit of good luck, um, you know, work hard and, and it will eventually come. Yes, it's a, it's a fair way of explaining luck, I think. I, I, I have an obsession with it, hence I have a podcast show about it, because I sold my last company, Fluid, to PwC, and I, I always explain that PwC made a decision that they were going to buy big agencies that were independent, and I had one of the few that was available. So, But it was luck that they decided to go and buy those types of companies. You know, I didn't build that company with that expectation in mind. And then I became obsessed with this concept that there's moments that you control and there's moments that you can't. And a lot of the time, a lot of successful people, you've had that moment that you couldn't predict. And that is pure luck. How you've responded to it, I guess, is what you're talking about there. How you've, for example, your 90% drop in traffic, people could say, oh, we had bad luck and had to shut the business. You know, or, yeah. or you see it as a chance to learn SEO as you did and, and, and turn that bad luck into a learning experience, right? And I think as you're saying with your agency, it's, it's luck that PwC wanted to buy you, but if you weren't a good agency, they wouldn't have bought you. Mm. So it wasn't luck that they bought you. Um, and, that, and that's one thing I always said to Andrew, my co-founder, is when, when I was saying, you know, that inbuilt obsession that we would be successful, even when it was coming to exit, I just knew that, if we did the right things and for that, for us, that was build a profitable company, build a company with longevity, look after our team, have a great culture. If, if we were doing all of those correctly, then someone would want to buy us mm. um, and, and luck falls into that. But it's, it's just doing everything by the book and correctly. And then luck, I think, falls into your lap um, at certain times. For your business sale, for people out there that are running a business, a lot of our listeners are running a business. They love the idea of having an investor. And so they could definitely check out your podcast and listen to people pitching their businesses and getting investment. But also they dream quite often of having an exit. So how did your exit come about? Was it was it luck or how did it play? Um, so it was very by the book, actually. So we... Um so I've talked about this, yeah, again, with fans I meet. So we were very strategic in how we looked at it. So we, Andrew and I agreed a, a, a minimum value we wanted to take from the business when we're talking about financially free. Um, and we had that figure in mind, I'll call it X. And um, 
we worked back from that. So we, we looked at other businesses in our space and because we became software in the end, we knew that we could probably sell it for anywhere between 10 and 18 times profit or EBIT. Um, so we knew that, okay, if we wanted to sell it for X and let's do the lower end, that's 10 times that, we knew we had to get X number of profit. Um, so we sort of charted our journey um, over five years since we got investment to try and hit that figure. And then the year before we were forecasting to hit that figure, um, we thought, okay, well, look, an exit takes a long time. Um, and we engaged a broker um, and did it, as I said, all by the book. It was a year journey. So we were dealing with the broker for about six months, building up our IM, it's called information, inf information memoranda or something like that, um, which is basically just a huge sales deck. Um, you know, it's about 200 pages. And um, we built that for six months. Then they took us to market under the radar and got some interest. And then they took us public to the market. Um, and funny enough, we, at the start of the process, I'll always remember, that they said, look, you guys draw up a list on who you think will buy you. We'll draw up a list of who we think potentially will buy you that, you know, you probably have never heard of. And I guarantee it won't be on either of our lists, the person that buys you. Um, and that's true. So the company that bought us, um, I'd never heard of them. Um, our broker had actually dealt with them before, but talk about luck. They were a big software house and they actually, um, a year before acquiring us, built a hospitality division. Um, and wanted just to buy the best of breed hospitality software in the market or the challenger brands. Um, so they sort of came completely out of left field um, and sort of swooped in and bought us pretty quickly. So from them making an offer, we were done in probably two months. Um, and that was part of the attraction with them was they said, we can move fast. We've got the cash. We'll do very light due diligence. Um, you know, let, let's just push this forward. Whereas other people that were interested, which I can't talk about, obviously, but they were big global brands. It was a, a much longer process. So we might've got a bigger valuation out of those big brands, but it was also a much bigger risk that they would drop out at any moment. One of the reasons I love doing this podcast show is because I, I love different experiences for the audience to understand how things can happen. Like I, I always explain my own story is I just built a great company. I actually never wanted to sell it and someone came along and wanted to buy it and that was great. It all worked out. But what you're describing there, I think is really important for listeners to hear another way to do it, which is a plan to sell it, you know, and getting the right team on board because it is just like any other sales. It's a process. And if you have the top sales team on your side, you will create sales. And so selling a business can be exactly like that. But so many people here, like, well, Google called us up and they wanted to buy our company and we sold it to them and they sent us a check. You know, the end, yeah. right? So I love, yeah. I love that. I love that point and um, I, I love the insight. I think the, um, the process of selling the company, again, I, I can only, I talk for myself for a second. I, I actually found it quite painful selling my company. And then when I sold it, although I made, more money than I'll ever need again in my life uh, to, to live. I don't need to earn any more money again. I did have a sense that I'd lost something. You know, I kind of, I, I, I was friends with everyone in the company. I felt like I'd, in a way, lost family the day I'd sold it. Did you have any feeling like that? How was it, what was it like for you? Yeah, it was very, very mixed emotions. So similar to you, we were, you know, very, we had a team of about 65. Um, a lot of them had been there a long time. A lot of them had been on the journey with us. Um, we gave most people share options as well, so they could benefit from our exit. Um 
and you know a lot of them looked at me as like an older brother um you know we had quite a young team and loved developing them and turning them into managers and forging a career for them which was a passion of mine at the time as well um so yeah to 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 sell and leave that um was was really really tough we we had a two year then sort of uh earn out so you know from selling we then had two years to to carry on um running the company so you sort of got used to winding down you know if we would have had to sell the company and then exit the next day it would have been very strange so we sort of came to terms with winding the company down from from our, our point of view um one thing that sort of really got me that I haven't really talked about was sort of January this year um, was, you know, that was it. So I was out and actually I, I wasn't ready mentally for that. You know, I had, I had dedicated 10 years as an obsession. This was my child, this company. Um, my whole life revolved around it. My loved ones, my friends, my family, I was designed my night for 10 years um, and waking up that next morning similar you know enough money in the bank to do what I want can live out all these dreams that you think you can live out and you you, you wake up with no purpose and, and someone that has had this purpose for, for 10 years you know I sort of yeah sort of crumbled for a few days where I was just like wow what do I do you know I'm I'm youngish in in, in the grand scheme of things I've still got a long life ahead of me I can do what I want but what do I do and you know I think that's where Corona was actually quite good for me was it forced me to take a step back and actually, you know, reassess now, what do I want for the next 10 years of my life and, and try and find new goals to achieve. It's a, it's a, it's something interesting for listeners to pick up on because I know some listeners will be thinking, well, I'd love to get to that stage. You know, I'd love to crumble, you know, I'd love to have that crumble moment, but, but, you know, it's actually very important. I think, for this bit of advice to get through to people that are on a journey to build a business, that actually the journey is the exciting bit. I, could, I crumbled for a year. And when I, when I sold my company, I've I, I been working since 15. So my idea was to retire. I was going to play golf, go to the gym every day, walk my dogs, you know, just live a very simple life and be free from ever having to go to work again. And I completely lost my identity. From the age of 15, I've been handing out a business card saying, I'm Simon Squibb and this is what I do. And then suddenly I'm like, I'm Simon Squibb and I do nothing. And people look at you like, you're not, yeah. you're not 80, you know, like you do nothing, <laughs> you know, and, and you, it is weird how it becomes, you know, you have a hole basically. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I think the audience should pick up on what you're talking about there def- because it's really important to appreciate the journey and selling is not definitely not a conclusion. I actually think it's the beginnings of the, the beginning of the end beginning of the end of the beginning so i should say you know and you've got that next step which is really digging deep who are you now right what should you do next so how and did that's you- almost harder because you've really got to look you know internally um and really decide what happiness looks like for you um you know when, when you've got something that you can be so driven on um as, as a startup is and it totally envelops your whole world. Um, and, it, and, it, and for me, too far, you know, it really was an obsession. Um, and then you've got to, and, and you think selling it is your happiness. Uh, and then once you've sold it, it's, it's, you know, it's a classic sort of Buddhist adage of things won't make you happy. Um, so 
you know, having money, great. And, you know, I obviously don't want to talk that down at all or seem ungrateful, but happiness isn't buying things. And you very quickly learn that. And I'm not a showy guy and, you know, I never wanted to buy flashy things anyway. Um, But yeah, you really need to dig deep probably for the first time in my life and just think, okay, well, I don't have to work, you know, nine to eight every day now and think that that's my happiness you know what really does make you happy um as you say look a lot of people would love to be in that position um but yeah it's taken this journey to and i'm still not there yet you know to to figure out you know what 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 is going to make me happy ongoing because at the end of the day that's the most important thing in life is if you're not happy doing what you're doing well then there's no point doing it this point you're talking about, I wish I could capture the energy of it and give it to young people in particular. I think there's the whole thing where money is almost seen as the end goal instead of appreciating the day-to-day of what you're actually building. And I, I feel like, you know, when you when you and I might say to, our, to the audience listening, you know, money's not important. I can hear them saying, you know, you can say that you've got money. Right. So it's easy for you to say that. But it's really important. I I actually one of the things I tried to say to entrepreneurs, I love your view on this, is people that are running businesses today. If you're thinking of setting the business like like you talked about, you're going through a process, start a year or two or even three years before you've sold the business thinking about what you might do next, because you could get stuck. And I got this. I had this problem. I'm like, I'm free. But what shall I do with my life? You know, so did you start planning what you would do when you had this earn out? Did you have a plan? Not really. And as you're saying, I wish I had done um, because, yeah, you've got all this freedom. And look, when I say money's not important, money is important to cover your day to day life. And, you know, as in, I don't want to play down or seem ungrateful. You know, I'm very, very fortunate that I don't have to worry about bills and mortgage and if my family need me i can help and that's really the most important thing with everything um you know it's the excess that you think you want you know so you think you want to go on loads of holidays and buy a nice car or buy a nice watch or whatever but invariably when if you if and when you do buy that watch you know that joy lasts a day and then you go find what the next joy is and that's the problem with spending money to excess so yeah i totally agree that sitting down and thinking yeah what if you're if you're on the route to exit obviously it's okay well yeah start planning what the next thing looked like which for us was sort of angel investing so we started angel investing in in 18 2018 um and we sold the end of 2017 so while we're at design my night we started sort of our flirting with angel investing um and 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 we could see that is where we will find some joy because I adore helping founders um, as an investor, as a mentor. Um, and actually for us, that, those were the happiest moments when really we, it's, it was just exciting. You know, you coming up with ideas. Andrew lived in South London. I live in North London. We'd meet in the West End in a Starbucks all day, you know, for free Wi-Fi and just come up with ideas and planning the website. And that that's the exciting thing. You know, it gets real when you have big clients and teams. You know, that's when as a founder, you don't really think of that when you're setting up a business. That actually, as a founder, you become HR. You become an agony uncle. Um, you become the, the point of call if your biggest client 
client's not happy. Um, so the sort of the sexiness of a, of a startup is in the early years. And for Andrew and I, if and until we do another one, our joy can be in helping startups now. I couldn't agree more. I hope those times continue where we can sit in coffee shops and, and plan brilliant ideas without ever thinking about how much work they're actually going to be. <laughs> yeah. I love, I've loved those moments where it's all about the opportunity. And you, like you say, you're not thinking about the, um, the huge uh, workload ahead. You're just thinking about the amazing idea and sitting there on a bit of paper, mind mapping just how brilliant it's going to be. And uh, they are the most fun part one of the most fun parts. And now, I think because um, now you can get ideas to market so quickly, um, you know, with you can get sites live for years. They're freelancers and do designs for you for 50 quid. You know, back in the day, it would be going to digital agencies and design agencies. And if you wanted to start a website, you would have to have 50 grand in the bank ready to spend. But now because you could just get ideas done and changed and ready for market so quickly you know you can see your dream come reality and it's really really exciting to be able to do that i agree i mean one of the things i always talk about is you actually don't need money to start a business it's often an excuse you know sites like godaddy will give you a website for free for a month and you can you know you can put all these things up for next to nothing and test the market for nothing you don't need an investor it's just effort isn't it yeah it's it's effort it's yeah knowing the tools to use and there's plenty of resources out there you know with the likes of wix and squarespace you can get beautiful or shopify you can get e-commerce beautiful sites for 50 quid um you know don't go out for dinner or don't buy drinks for a week and then there's your money to set up a website um that wasn't available to us back in 2010 um so i think it's yeah and that's why i think we're in this this dawn hopefully of just startups booming um and i'm passionate about that because i think you know even pre-corona the world we live in i i just don't trust politicians and big companies to run the country and actually for me it's startups that are saving the planet or sorting out what the future of work looks like or sorting out and championing mental well-being and physical well-being you know that's all coming from startups they're the ones taking the lead you know you look it has to take a footballer a 21 year old footballer marcus rashford to make sure kids get fed during coronavirus um and i think that's the exciting thing for me is the future of 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 everything comes from the startup world and people forget google was a startup you know it might be the big baddie now but it was a startup and they revolutionized our life apple revolutionized our life you know elon musk revolutionized electric cars so obviously they've become huge conglomerates now but actually it all comes from the startup world I think it's a rally cry, what you're talking about there, Nick. I couldn't agree more. I think that we, um, around the world, we can't rely on governments. We shouldn't have been relying on them anyway to make our lives better. And we can take control. And I think we can impact positive change. I, I, I couldn't agree. I love, I'm seeing a huge amount of mental health apps right now, for example, with people with mental health issues that know that, you know, there's nothing out there to help them. The NHS can't help them in England. There's no medical system to support this particular type of issue. And so entrepreneurs are solving these problems. And I think that 
um, there's a lot of people out there that are entrepreneurs and don't realize it. They've been stuck in a job or have always got a job. This is their chance to break out and make a difference. And I think we can solve unemployment. Entrepreneurship can solve unemployment because you're not looking for a job. You're creating one for yourself or you're helping someone that is creating jobs, right? Yeah, and I think that's... I think people forget that. And I think when people see startups, you think of the big boys now, the unicorns. But actually, there are millions of startups, um, you know, that are employing five people, 10 people, 50 people, 100 people. Um, you know, that that is the future of work. Um, and, you know, I, I always laugh when, you know, when I speak to my dad, who, who has had his own businesses, you know, I think that's where I got my inspiration from, you know, and he laughs at, you know, startup, entrepreneur, all of that, you know, he was like, we're just business men and business women, you know, that's all he ever calls himself is I'm just a businessman. Um, and, he, you know, employs 80 people. And that's, you know, I think we do get a bit wrapped up in this, the sexiness of, of being an entrepreneur and a startup. And, but, you know, at the end of the day, as you say, startups are there to solve problems, potentially revolutionize the environment we live in and then create jobs. And I think the future of jobs, especially in this era that we're going to enter into, will come from the startup world. And it's interesting, isn't it, how words have got twisted a little bit. Like even the word startup, you, like you say, oh, we've got to become Google or Facebook. No, you can start a, bit, a little business that makes you happy, employs a few people perhaps, and does some good in the world. You know, it doesn't always have to be Facebook or Google. Not that you even want to create these companies anymore. You know, there's lots of different versions of a startup. And you're quite right. You're, you're, my father was also an entrepreneur, but he just called himself a businessman, you know. And, and so it's, I, I always say to people, I'm, I'm not anything special. I'm just a guy at 15 years old who couldn't get a job. So had to start something, you know. It's uh, sometimes about circumstances, isn't it? Yeah, I think anyone um, can start a business like I don't think um you know I, I think when you look back you know if, if we're real and honest with each other you know the majority of people that started startups you know maybe 10 15 years ago were white male middle class you know that that had had all of those benefits in life and that immediate step up but I think what's really heartening now is you know, the, the, the founders I speak to and uh, the pitch decks I see are, you know, uh, you know, men, women, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, um, and actually have just got an idea. Um, and as, as we said, you don't need a ton of money nowadays to, to start um, a business. You just need that idea. And that idea can come from anything. You know, it's normally hardship that, that you, you see good ideas. You know, this should be better. This should be run better. And that's why I always say, you know, that light bulb moment, don't, don't really wait for that light bulb moment. Very few of us have a light bulb moment. I, I think the, the best way to come up with a, a business idea is just look in the world around you and the world you live in and the products you interact with um, and the companies you interact with day to day and just think what, what could be done better, what should be done better. Um, you know, you look at Monzo and, and the, the banking revolution because our banks were awful and they weren't modernized. You look at Bulb and Octopus Energy um, because, you know, that institution was sort of antiquated and broken. Um, you know, you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be an Elon Musk. There are very few Elon Musks. Um, you, you know, you don't have to revolutionize the planet. You just need to sort of see what's broken in the world you live in and think how you can do that better. Couldn't agree more.
I think sometimes people overthink things too. I, I think if you can just go and build something that you enjoy doing every day, that's success to your point at the beginning. You know, like I, I feel like people are missing that sometimes. They, they, they will say, I've got this idea, but someone else is already doing it. So what? You know, like it, does, it doesn't matter. You can go and do something similar. If you're going to enjoy it, and maybe you can carve out a niche for yourself. And I started a design company. You know, there was hundreds of thousands of design companies around the world. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it, it's, uh, I think it's a good, it's a good piece of advice uh, there, Nick. So, you know, thanks for sharing your thoughts. I, I agree. You don't need a light bulb moment either. You can just start something and it can build into a light bulb moment. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, for us, you know, Design My Night was never, which is why we didn't really get press, really. We were never revolutionizing anything. You know, we were just doing it better. You know, we, we did time out better. And then we went into software and we did open table better. Um, so we were never revolutionary. We just did them better. We were closer to the customers and knew what they wanted because we weren't this huge company. Um, and as you say, look, there's, there's always going to be, probably people out there doing your idea um you know i see a lot of cloak and dagger stuff when people send me pitch decks or want me to sign ndas or don't want to talk about their idea and i'm like look you know you a the minute you send a pitch deck to an angel it's going to spread you know that's the nature of the beast especially if you want investment um but also you just gotta have trust in your own conviction that you're going to execute it better than anyone else i i, I have this conversation with people every single day it, you know, share your idea. You know, and the people say, well, what if someone steals it? I said, well, execute the idea better than them and you'll win, won't you? I mean, Facebook was a yeah, copy yeah. of MySpace and MySpace was a copy of Friendster. So, you know, it, it, really, yeah. it really is silly. And I, I hope people are listening that have an idea. You're listening to this show. You're thinking, I want inspiration. If you took one thing, I, I think what Nick just said there is, again, gold. You know, just share it. And if, if, you're not, if you don't trust the people you're sharing it with, okay, don't share it with them. Back to your point yeah. earlier, you said in the podcast about having referrals, you know, like I guess there are people out there that are in the angel investing world that steal ideas. I don't know many, though, because they don't last more than a week in that space. If you if you're nah. if you're an investor and you're stealing someone else's idea, I don't I don't I don't know anyone because I don't think they last more than a week. No. And, and, and uh, yeah, I just I think that is more fantasy that I think they just think everyone's going to steal their idea, you know. So it's a lot of the right person, the circumstance that you're going to steal an idea. Angel investors invariably aren't looking to do another business. <laughs> That's why they're angel investing. Um, so, yeah, I think share it not with, and I say not with loved ones, actually go out and use LinkedIn or whatever and just find people within that industry even um, ask their idea, um, ask what they think of your idea, look for angel investors or mentors in that space or have experience. And, you know, it's a very tight knit community. But most angel investors and mentors that I know in my network will always, you know, whether it just be one line of advice or a long e email advice, will always be happy to help people with, interesting ideas you, you mentioned uh two things i want to um, we're, we're running out of time i could talk to you all day long because I, I just i just resonate with everything you're saying but um, i'm always conscious that the listeners only have so much time in a day to listen to our podcast but i i wanted to ask you a couple of things before we before we go one thing was um, you mentioned your father was an entrepreneur and that clearly influenced you was your mother entrepreneurial 
Yeah, so she, so they both actually had their own. Um, so my dad was in the fashion business um, and had his own, still does manufacturing company. Um, and actually, my mum was a beauty therapist, but again, set up her own one. So she never actually, you know, back to what you were saying, it doesn't have to be huge. Like actually, mum, for as long as I remember, had a room at our house that. Um, you know, she was a beauty therapist there, so ran her own business. Um, I remember being a kid in, in school holidays where clients would be coming in and sat in the lounge while I was trying to watch telly. Um, and but I got to know all of mum's clients. Um, she's now mid-60s and works like three days a week uh, because she enjoys it. Um, and her clients have been with her, you know, for as long. Um, so, yeah, I, I was always surrounded by that, which I think is was a bit of a, a an eye opener into that world i think you're touching another few things that work-life balance the point you're making there i think where your your mum and the clients and you are all part of the same mix because so many people try to separate everything don't they it's like oh and they get stressed because they're, they're trying to have a day job and then they're trying to have a life as if they're two separate things right like you've uh, you know you learned from a young age that it's all one thing really yeah and because you know and if you want to do a big startup that is going to become your life as well so you know i had sort of two ends of the scale where mum's clients were in the house and mum would have to sometimes work weekends uh, so you know i'd come in from the garden playing football or something and there were clients there and I, that's just what i got used to um dad was more of the you know classic hard working startups you know so he would be out the door at like 7 a.m um be back at like 8 so you know I just know he worked really really hard and then weekends were time together so you know you know dad would take me to football or whatever and you know that would be our time together because I knew that he was working so hard to build his business um and and now having done done that I totally resonate with what he must have been going through I think for a lot of people, they wonder, you know, they don't think they're entrepreneurs. And this question, are entrepreneurs born or bred? And what do you think about that? Um, I think you need a certain steel. And, and, and is that born? No, um, I don't think so. Um, I think you can learn and teach yourself resolve and inner steel um, and get yourself in the, the right mental frame of mind to, to be able to go on that roller coaster. Um, and, and some people are probably more naturally set up for that, but I think you, it is something you can teach yourself. Um, and I think it also comes down to the goal, you know, what is your end goal? And if you have that inner fire to hit that goal, whether it be paying your, your parents' mortgage or you being financially free or saving the environment or employing 10 people. If, if, if you have fire for that goal, then that, that's your entrepreneurial spirit that you constantly hear. Um, you know, you do not have to be a genius. Um, I always say, like, maths, I can't add up for toffee. I literally can't add up past my fingers. Um, I always joke that the, the, when I went for the L'Oreal grad scheme, they came in and said, we're in a bit of a conundrum with you because you've got the worst math score we've ever had, but the, probably one of the best marketing tests we've ever had. Um, 
and you know i've never let that stop me so you know i i again use excel a lot more than my my natural brain you know i'm almost maths dyslexic but that's fine like you do not need to be a genius you do not need to be super intelligent i think it just comes from making right decisions at the right time which comes from surrounding yourself with people that can help you with that and also having that inner fire to reach those goals that you set yourself so if people like now we're deciding whether to go to university or go back to university which seems like a lot of people are thinking of doing or go start a business of your own what would you say it's it's a real tough one i i think nowadays yeah i definitely see less value in university um it's a bit hypocritical i went to university and loved it and actually university for me was more about finding myself uh, a bit more than actually what I was. I studied languages at university, um, so I, I actually that sort of turned me more into an adult at university. I think um, so. I think from that point of view, again, taking Corona out of it and it's all virtual, and so my heart bleeds for students at the moment. Um, that was super important for me, but also as an employer at Design My Night, I never looked whether someone has a degree. I just saw if they had the right passion and the right enthusiasm a degree never came into it so what i say to people is don't panic if you don't know a what career you want to go into um the right employers will be looking for the fire and the passion rather than a university degree unless you want to see want to be a doctor etc um and if it comes into starting up your own thing you know university can wait Um, And I think if you've got that fire to go into the startup world, then actually we look for experience rather than a university degree. None of my job roles at Design My Night required a university degree. Um, Some of my best devs were self-taught out of their bedroom. Um, So I think less and less, whether you want to start up your own startup or go and work for a startup, university is becoming less important. It's probably a good thing. And and so another good point you've mentioned there, and I think I, I've never really heard it. You know, you talked earlier about, you know, you can leave your job, Estee Lauder, you could always go back. Frankly, you can always go to university because you're actually paying for it. And if you could get yeah. in in the first place, you can get in later. So, but if you've got that idea, I like you said earlier also, now is probably the best time to start it. You can get a website for pretty much nothing up and running. You can get going and and there's no better time than now to try, right? So everyone knows in a crisis, that's one of some of the best businesses have been started, right? So it's, I think, a good point you're making there. You can go back to university or you can go to university later. And go and and work in a startup. So, you know, that's that's often a great breeding ground for you to come up with an idea or if you've got an idea to sit on it and go and see what the startup world is like um you know i've had quite a few young guys and girls come to me and ask for advice on you know yeah what should their next step be and they're super passionate they think about the startup world and i say well just go and work for a startup like there's so many startup jobs out there now um go and go and see what it's like. And, you know, whether it be, there's so many jobs like account management, customer success, um, you know, like social, you know, all the youngins know how to do social now anyway. You know, there's so many different parts of a startup that don't require 
tons of experience and qualifications that you can just throw yourself into. Um, and that's probably the, some of the most satisfying feedback I've had is when I left Design My Night, people, that, you know, my team, some of them coming up to me and going, you know, I'm so grateful to Design My Night for actually finding my career. You know, I came in as a customer success exec. I had no idea what it was. And now you leave me as a customer success manager and I've been in customer success for six years. And actually now I could confidently go on and work for Slack in their customer success department. And, you know, before Design My Night, I had no idea what I wanted to be. I, I have to say, I think that's another thing that's really amazing about being a founder. You're touching on something that I really resonate with too, which is you feel that if you've given people an opportunity in your company, like I had someone come to work for me and then end up basically running the Wall Street Journal and then someone else then up, end up running LinkedIn and Asia, you know? So it's kind, of, it's kind of exciting that you were there to help them in that journey for them to discover themselves. And so anyone yeah. listening, I think, you know, also... You're, you're talking, I think people don't know their purpose. Some people say to me, I don't know my purpose. I say, go work with someone who's got a purpose. You'll soon, yeah. you know, it will rub off. You know, either their purpose will rub off on you or their inspiration to find your purpose will rub off on you. And so I think my advice to listeners would be, um, go listen to all your podcasts and all the people pitching. <laughs> and I guarantee you, all those people, if you reach out to them and said, I've got three or four months, I think, until I find my next job or I'm looking for a job, can I help you? They would have you in a heartbeat because they all need help equally um they would they would love then for therefore to help you cultivate your career and find out what you're meant to be doing and and at the same time i think that a lot of people that are um looking at an education say in marketing looking to spend fifty thousand pounds or get into debt getting an education in marketing and getting a marketing degree go spend one year in a startup and you will learn more about marketing in real time than any education will ever give you and maybe if you work for free it won't cost you fifty thousand pounds and maybe if you do a really good job they'll pay you as they raise money right yeah i mean just just get out there and yeah startup salaries if you're totally inexperienced won't be the highest but as you say you're you'll have enough to live on you're not getting into debt that is your university essentially while you're earning money and you know even big employers as well as startups don't necessarily want to look for people with a marketing degree or a business degree because you know everything you learn by a textbook is not what the real world is like anyway so actually you almost prefer to get someone with a clean slate that you can help and you can mold in your own vision as well yeah that's very true a lot of people that have had no experience but just have the raw talent that was my first designer she wasn't trained as a designer she's just talented a lot of talented yeah. people can't afford to go to university or haven't gone to university doesn't so absolutely right and uh I, nick i've i've enjoyed having you on the podcast so much i'd love to have you come back maybe we could co-host the show together sometime i, lo I love uh, your insights and view and uh, i i am um, i just want to ask you one last question as we close if you w went back to the younger nick and gave some advice what would it be trust in your conviction I think trust your guts, um, believe in yourself um, and, you know, ignore the naysayers and actually just have a single minded belief in your gut and that will lead you on the correct path. Love it. Thank you so much. I'm going to quickly sum up what I've taken from the podcast today. I love this point you mentioned earlier about inner steel. I think this is um, the essence of being a successful entrepreneur. All the other things, if you're not a good accountant, you can hire accountants. If you're not a good marketing person, you can hire a marketing person. I think you've hit the nail on the head with that 
summarization of an entrepreneur. It's just inner steel, determination. And I think it links to the other things that you've talked about, like the end goal, which is you know is success. And you define it, maybe it's a weekly goal where you're going to lose a kilo or you're going to make sure that you um, get more customers that week. It can be small goals or big goals. But I think if you achieve those goals, that's success. And I think that links to inner steel because if you have a strong enough end goal, a strong purpose, it can keep you on that path and you can become an entrepreneur. It's absolutely my view. So those insights. I love the whole point you mentioned as well about keep the highs high and the lows not too low. You know, and to me, that's like not dwelling on the bad luck, you know, my theme of the podcast and, 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 and really enjoying the good luck, you know, really appreciating the good luck. I think finding, finding some joy in what you're doing is so important and so many people forget that. I think financially free is an interesting thing too. I think you you clearly defined what that meant for you with your co-founder and then you reverse engineered it. I think that's a really interesting way to do it because everyone has a different definition of financially free. And I, um, I, I think for myself, like you, I don't need to own a boat. I just need a friend who owns a boat. So, you know, financially free can actually be quite a low barrier if you're smart about it and you think about what really matters to you, then, then you can get there. And financially free really does give you the chance to figure out who you really are and what you really want want as opposed to the job role that you're trying to fill so I really I really like all that I love this whole point you mentioned earlier about um, you know you drop 90% in your traffic but it doesn't matter in fact it's a learning and you and sometimes you know th- that to me also links very closely to moral code as we discussed I think it's really important for people to employ people that have the same moral code as you have a co-founder has the same moral code as you have suppliers that have the same moral code as you because that will lead out into what your customers experience so I think that's really important um, insight don't wait for the light bulb moment is something else you said Nick which I totally resonate with too many people were just sitting around waiting for their Facebook idea instead of perhaps just starting something they enjoy and letting the light bulb moment happen over time. Um, I love the kind of the t-shirt stuff, which is, you know, revolutionize the world, trust your gut. I mean, it's, it's said a lot, but I think people don't understand that because they're not listening to their gut enough. They're so busy listening to logic. That's what business school does to people. I mean, the nine out of 10 people come out of business school don't ever start a business because it's got drummed out of them to not listen to their gut and just listen to their head. And most of the time, um, your gut is right. I'm sure when you started your business, you thought, well, why isn't Time Out doing this? And they never yeah. did it. And you surpassed <laughs> them. And, uh, and that's, that's how it is, right? So you trusted your gut. But Nick, I want to thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure having you on the show and we look forward to having you back thank you i really enjoyed it thanks for having me thank you for listening to this week's episode of the good luck club podcast i hope you enjoyed nick's insights his horseplay ventures are doing amazing things and please do me a favor if you've got any value from this podcast today go to the links below hit likes on his social media and absolutely check out his podcast you'll be inspired by the people pitching there and just maybe there'll be a job for you in one of those startups or just as exciting go start your own contact nick and ask him if he put you on his podcast show and pitch your idea to the world again we know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to but you take the time to listen to ours we feel incredibly lucky